Hello everyone, this is Greg, your host, and you're listening to Campfire Creatures. Today we have an episode about the Chered. So this one is a two-parter, and it's based in India in the early 1900s. Kind of special, as although I'm Canadian, my heritage is Indian. So I thought, hey, why not dig deep and try to do something from Punjab and kind of recollect some of those stories growing up. In any case, I hope you enjoy this episode. Please leave a rating, a five-star review. I'd greatly appreciate it if you like what I'm doing. So without further ado, I'll get to the story. So sit back, relax, do whatever it is you're doing, and enjoy the show. Chapter 1. The Village As the wooden cart rolled away, leaving a cloud of dust in its wake, I stood at the edge of the village, a stranger in my own land. The air was thick with the scent of ripening wheat and the distant sound of the Sutledge River, a lifeline to these parts. My eyes took in the mud-brick houses, their thatched roofs golden in the afternoon sun, a stark contrast to the cold, imposing structures of British Calcutta where I had received my education. I adjusted the pith helmet on my head, an uncomfortable emblem of my allegiance to the crown, and made my way down the narrow street. The villagers eyed me with a mix of curiosity and suspicion. I was, after all, an outsider not just in appearance, but in purpose. My mission, sanctioned by British officials, was to survey the land for coal and iron ore, resources they coveted to fuel their expanding empire. But to the villagers, I was just another arm of the oppressive regime that had taken so much from them. As I walked, children playing by the roadside stopped to stare, their games momentarily forgotten. Elderly men sitting outside their homes, smoking hookahs and discussing the day's affairs, paused to look me over. I offered them a polite nod, receiving in return cautious, measured glances. It was then that I saw her. Leela was her name. She stood by the well at the center of the village, her posture graceful, her sari a vibrant splash of color against the dusty backdrop. Her long, dark hair was pulled back, revealing a face not just beautiful but strong, with eyes that seemed to hold centuries of stories. Our eyes met, and for a moment, the world around us faded into insignificance. I approached her, my heart pounding in my chest, an unfamiliar feeling of nervousness taking hold. Namaste, I greeted, my voice sounding foreign to my own ears. Namaste, she replied, her voice soft yet confident. You are not from around here. Her directness took me aback. No, I'm here on work from Calcutta. She filled her earthen pot with water, her movements fluid and effortless. We don't get many visitors. What brings you to our village? I hesitated, aware that my answer could paint me as a friend or foe. I'm a geologist. I've been sent to survey the land. Her expression changed subtly, a flicker of wariness crossing her features. I see, she said, a hint of coolness in her tone. Well, I hope you find what you're looking for. 
With that, she lifted the pot, balancing it with ease on her head, and walked away. I watched her go, her figure a blend of strength and grace, leaving me with a sense of longing and an acute awareness of the divide that lay between us. That evening, as I sat with the Patels, my hosts, a modest meal of dal and roti before us, the conversation inevitably turned to my work. Mr. Parr Patel, a man with a face weathered by years of toil under the sun, spoke in a tone that was polite but guarded. We have heard of the British looking for resources in these parts, he said, his eyes steady on mine. What will happen to our lands if you find what you're looking for? I knew the unspoken fear behind his question, the uprooting of lives, the exploitation of land, the insatiable hunger of an empire that knew no bounds. I'm here only to survey, I replied, my voice low. What happens after is not in my hands. Mrs. Patel served the food, her movements silent, her eyes downcast. I sensed her unease, the conflict she felt hosting someone who represented a threat to their way of life. Later, as I lay on the charpoy in my room, the soft night breeze carrying the distant howls of jackals, my mind replayed the day's events. The wary looks of the villagers, Leela's guarded conversation, the Patel's unspoken fears all weighed heavily on my conscience. But it was the stories that Mr. P Patel shared after dinner, tales of a haunted crematory deep in the woods that lingered in my thoughts. He spoke of a churil, a vengeful spirit of a woman wronged, who preyed on unsuspecting souls. I had dismissed such tales as mere superstitions, but in the darkness of my room, they took on a life of their own. Little did I know that my quest for resources would lead me down a path entwined with ancient curses and unspoken horrors, a path where my rational beliefs would be challenged by the shadows of the unseen. And so, under the watchful gaze of a million stars, my journey into the heart of this village and its hidden terrors began. My first week in the village passed in a blur of activity. Each day, I trekked through the neighboring forests and fields, mapping the land and taking soil samples. The physical labor was taxing, but it was the emotional turmoil that proved most draining. With every stone turned and every sample collected, I felt as though I was betraying my own people, aiding in the plunder of our land's riches for the benefit of foreign rulers. Yet, amidst this inner conflict, my thoughts kept returning to Leela. Her image haunted me, her resolute gaze, the effortless grace with which she carried herself, and the subtle defiance in her voice. I longed to speak to her again, to learn more about her, to understand the world through her eyes. One evening, as I returned from my explorations, I found Leela at the village well again. Gathering my courage, I approached her, my footsteps hesitant. Good evening, Leela, I said, trying to sound casual. She looked up, her expression guarded. Good evening, Arjun. How goes your exploration? It's progressing, I replied, my gaze lingering on her. I've been meaning to ask you would you be willing to show me around the village. I'd like to learn more about your life here. 
A flicker of surprise crossed her face before she nodded. I suppose I could. There's much more to this place than what meets the eye. And so, our walks began. Each evening, Leela would take me through different parts of the village, introducing me to its rhythms and routines. She showed me the fields where the villagers toiled from dawn to dusk, the small temple where they offered prayers, and the ancient banyan tree that served as a gathering spot for evening discussions. Through her eyes, the village transformed from a mere geographical location into a tapestry of stories and struggles. She spoke passionately about their simple joys and deep-seated fears, not just of the supernatural, but of the very real threat of losing their homes and livelihoods to the British Raj. One particular evening, as we sat under the banyan tree, Leela opened up about her own life. My mother passed away when I was young, she said, her voice tinged with sadness. It's been just my father and me since then. He's a good man, but he's been hardened by life's trials. I listened, a sense of admiration growing within me for her strength and resilience. You're very brave, I said sincerely. She gave a small, wistful smile. One has to be in times like these. It was during one of these walks that I first heard the full story of the Churil from Leela herself. They say she was a young bride, wronged and abandoned, Leela whispered, a hint of fear in her voice. Her spirit couldn't find peace, and now wanders the crematory grounds, seeking vengeance on the living. The rational part of me wanted to dismiss it as a folktale, but the conviction in Leela's voice made me pause. There was a part of this land, steeped in mystery and old beliefs, that I couldn't quite comprehend. Weeks passed, and my survey work neared completion. The day of my inevitable departure loomed over me, bringing with it a sense of dread. Not just for the potential fate of the village, but for the unspoken bond that had formed between Leela and me. In her company, I had found not just a guide, but a confidant, someone who had awakened in me a sense of belonging I hadn't realized I was missing. But the tranquility of our growing closeness was shattered one fateful night. I had ventured deeper into the forest than ever before, drawn by an inexplicable urge to uncover the truth behind the Churail legend. As the shadows grew longer and the forest sounds more ominous, I found myself standing at the edge of the old crematory grounds. The air here was different, colder, heavier, as if laden with the weight of untold sorrows. I felt a chill run down my spine as I stepped forward, the undergrowth crunching under my boots. It was then that I saw her, a figure draped in white, her face obscured, standing amidst the ancient tombs. My heart raced, and every instinct screamed at me to flee, but I stood rooted to the spot, transfixed by her presence. She turned towards me, and in the dim light, I saw her face a ghastly visage of rage and despair. I stumbled backward, my breath coming in ragged gasps. The figure moved closer, and a bone-chilling scream filled the air. I turned and ran, the scream echoing in my ears, the image of the tormented spirit seared into my mind. 
That night, I returned to the village, my body trembling, my mind reeling from the encounter. I knew then that the legend of the trail was more than just a tale to frighten children. It was a palpable, terrifying reality, and I had unwittingly stepped into its domain. As I lay in bed, staring at the thatched roof above me, I knew that my mission had changed. It was no longer just about surveying the land. It was about understanding the mysteries it held and confronting the horrors that lurked in its shadows. And so, I prepared myself for what was to come, unaware of the trials and tribulations that awaited me in the days ahead. Chapter 2. The Woods The days that followed my encounter at the crematory were filled with restless unease. Each night, as darkness enveloped the village, the haunting image of the trail lingered at the edges of my consciousness, her tormented scream echoing in my dreams. I confided in Leela about my experience, seeking not just solace but understanding. We sat under the banyan tree, the air heavy with the scent of jasmine and the distant hum of the evening prayers. Arjun, you've seen her then, Leela said, her voice barely above a whisper. The churil is not just a tale to scare children. She's a reminder of the pain and injustice that lingers in these woods. Her words sent a shiver down my spine. But why does she haunt these lands? What does she seek? Leela looked away, her eyes troubled. Revenge, they say, for the wrongs done to her. But some believe she also seeks release from her eternal torment. I mulled over her words, the scientist in me battling with the reality I had faced. I need to understand Leela. I need to find out more about her, about this curse. Leela's gaze met mine, a mixture of fear and determination in her eyes. Then we must speak to the only one who knows the entire truth, the village shaman. The next day, we set out to meet the shaman, an enigmatic figure who lived at the edge of the village, his life shrouded in mystery and reverence. His abode was a small hut adorned with strange symbols and dried herbs, a stark contrast to the simple dwellings of the village. The shaman, a frail old man with piercing eyes, listened intently as I recounted my encounter. You have awakened her interest, young man, he said in a raspy voice. The churil is drawn to those who tread her domain with unresolved burdens. I frowned struggling to understand his words. But what can I do? How do I appease her? The path you seek is fraught with danger, the shaman warned. To confront the churil is to confront the very essence of grief and rage. But if you must, you will need to understand her story, the true story. He told us of a young bride, wronged not just by her family, but by the British soldiers who had taken advantage of her vulnerability. Her death had been a tragic consequence of their cruelty, her spirit unable to find peace, fueled by a burning desire for retribution. The shaman's tale painted a vivid picture of pain and betrayal, and I felt a deep sense of anger and helplessness. It was a story that resonated with the plight of my people under British rule a narrative of exploitation and suffering. 
determined to uncover the whole truth, I decided to delve deeper into the village's history, seeking out the oldest residents who might still remember the events that had led to the creation of the Churio. Leela, despite her apprehensions, agreed to accompany me, her presence a source of strength and courage. Our quest led us to the village elders, each with their own version of the tale, adding layers to the legend of the Churil. Some spoke of her beauty and kindness in life, others of the horrors inflicted upon her, and yet others of the fateful night that had sealed her fate. As I pieced together the fragments of her story, a picture began to emerge not just of a vengeful spirit, but of a woman who had suffered unimaginable injustices, her life and death a mirror to the struggles faced by my own people. But it was the discovery of an old diary, hidden away in the ruins of a colonial-era building, that provided the missing pieces to the puzzle. The diary, belonging to a British officer, detailed his encounters with the young bride and the events leading up to her tragic demise. Reading the officer's callous and unrepentant words, I felt a surge of anger and disgust. The diary was a testament to the cruelty and arrogance of the British, their disregard for the lives and dignity of those they ruled over. With each page turned, the Churel story transformed in my eyes. She was no longer just a spectral figure of fear, but a symbol of resistance against oppression, her spirit a haunting reminder of the injustices that had been perpetrated on this land. As Leela and I pored over the diary, our resolve strengthened. We knew that to confront the Churil, to seek a resolution to her haunting, we had to acknowledge her pain and the truth of her story. It was a journey that would take us not just into the heart of the forest, but into the darkest chapters of our history. And so, armed with the knowledge of the past and the determination to face whatever lay ahead, we prepared to venture into the woods once more to seek an audience with the Churil to confront the ghosts of our shared history. But neither of us could have anticipated the horrors that awaited us, nor the truths that would be revealed in the heart of those cursed woods. As Leela and I delved deeper into the village's past, the weight of history pressed down on us. Our evenings were spent in hushed conversations with the oldest villagers, each story shedding light on the Churil's tragic past. These tales were not mere folklore. They were woven into the very fabric of the village, a tapestry of sorrow and loss. One elderly woman, her face lined with the passage of time, spoke of the young bride with a tremor in her voice. She was like a daughter to us, she said, her eyes glistening with unshed tears. Her laughter filled these streets, her kindness touched our hearts. But after they took her, everything changed. Who took her? I asked, a sense of dread building within me. The British soldiers, she replied, a note of bitterness in her voice. They were monsters, dressed in the garb of gentlemen. They brought nothing but misery to our lands. Her words echoed the sentiments I had heard time and again, a chorus of anger and despair that had become the village's lament. It was a history I knew all too well, the dark legacy of colonialism that had ensnared my own ancestors. 
Leela, and I spent hours piecing together the puzzle, each revelation adding to the complexity of the Churiel story. It was a narrative punctuated by moments of joy and decades of suffering, a reflection of the village's own journey through the years. Our search eventually led us to the ruins of an old colonial building, hidden away in the dense undergrowth at the forest edge. It was here, amidst the crumbling walls and overgrown vines, that we discovered the diary of the British officer. The diary was a window into a world of arrogance and entitlement, its pages filled with the officer's exploits and conquests. But it was the entries about the young bride that caught our attention, the words revealing a tale of manipulation and betrayal. She was a beauty unlike any other, a jewel in this land of dust and heat, the officer had written. But her spirit was too fierce, her will too strong. It was a challenge I could not resist. As I read the words, a sense of revulsion filled me. The officer had viewed her not as a human being, but as a prize to be won, a challenge to be conquered. His actions, devoid of remorse or empathy, had set in motion the events that led to her untimely death. Leela's face was a mask of anger as she read over my shoulder. He destroyed her life, and yet he writes of it with such casual cruelty, she said, her voice shaking with emotion. The diary was not just a record of the officer's deeds, it was a testament to the suffering inflicted upon the village and its people. It was proof of the injustice that had given birth to the Churail's curse. Armed with this knowledge, Leela and I knew that our next step was to return to the crematory, to confront the Churail with the truth of her story. It was a daunting task, one that filled us with both fear and determination. The night of our journey into the forest arrived, the moon casting a pale light over the village. We made our way to the crematory, the silence of the night punctuated by the distant howls of wolves and the rustling of leaves underfoot. As we reached the clearing, the air grew cold, a tangible reminder of the presence that awaited us. The crematory stood before us, its stones weathered by time, a sentinel to the memories of the past. We stepped into the clearing, the weight of our mission pressing heavily upon us. It was here that we would face the Churiel, here that we would attempt to bring peace to her tormented spirit. But as we waited, the forest around us seemed to come alive. The Churiel was near, her presence an oppressive force that threatened to overwhelm us. And then she appeared, her form emerging from the darkness, a specter of rage and despair. Her eyes, hollow and unseeing, bore into ours, a silent challenge that sent shivers down our spines. Churiel, I began, my voice steady despite the fear that gripped me. We know your story. We know the pain and injustice you suffered. The Churiel's gaze remained fixed on us, her form flickering like a flame in the wind. I held out the diary, the pages fluttering in the night breeze. This is the truth of what happened to you. Your story will not be forgotten. For a moment, there was silence, a hush that fell over the forest like a shroud. Then the Churel let out a wail, 
a sound that was both a cry of anguish and a release of pent-up fury. The ground beneath us trembled, the air charged with an unseen energy. It was as if the very forest was responding to her pain, to the injustice that had been her fate. Leela and I stood our ground. We were here not just for the Chirail, but for all those who had suffered under the yoke of oppression, for those whose stories had been silenced by the passage of time. The Chirail's form began to change, her features softening, the rage in her eyes giving way to a deep, profound sadness. It was as if the acknowledgement of her story, the validation of her pain, was allowing her to find the peace that had eluded her for so long. As the night wore on, the Chirail's form faded into the forest, her presence dissipating like mist in the morning sun. In its place, a sense of calm settled over the land, a quiet that spoke of endings and beginnings. Leela and I walked back to the village in silence, the events of the night replaying in our minds. We had faced the ghost of the past, had brought to light a story that had been buried in the shadows. As we reached the village, the first light of dawn breaking over the horizon, I knew that our fight was just beginning. We had awakened not just the spirit of the Chirail, but the spirit of resistance that lay within each of us. Chapter 3 Unearthing Shadows The dawn after our encounter at the crematory brought an unexpected serenity. Walking through the village, I noticed a subtle change in the air, a new openness in the villagers' eyes, a warmth in their greetings. Our confrontation with the Churiel had woven me into the village's tapestry, transforming me from an outsider to a participant in their shared history. Leela and I met beneath the familiar banyan tree where our journey had begun. The experience of the previous night had forged a new bond between us, a camaraderie born of shared courage and a glimpse into the unknown. The village is abuzz with our encounter, Leela remarked. They see you differently now, Arjun, as one of their own. Her words resonated with a truth I had started to feel. Our actions had bridged a gap, connecting my once isolated path with the village's collective narrative. Our conversation was interrupted by Mr. Bay Patel, whose appearance always seemed to herald new developments. Arjun Leela, he greeted us. There's something you must see. We followed him to a site at the village's edge, where an old British military outpost, long forgotten and surrendered to the wild embrace of nature, had been uncovered. The villagers had gathered around, their faces a blend of curiosity and somber recollection. The outpost stood as a relic of a painful era, its walls crumbling overgrown with vines. Hidden within were remnants of the British occupation, rusted weapons, fragments of uniforms, and brittle documents yellowed by time. This was their command center, Mr. P Patel explained, his voice tinged with a mix of resentment and sorrow. From here, they spread their control, their fear. The discovery was a tangible link to the village's painful past. It spoke of a time of subjugation, but also of the resilience and quiet rebellion of those who had lived under the shadow of the empire. We need to document this, I suggested, 
feeling a responsibility to bring these hidden truths to light. The world should know the real story of what happened here. Leela nodded, her expression resolute. And we need to preserve these artifacts. They are painful reminders, but also tokens of our history, our identity. The villagers began to share stories handed down from their ancestors, tales of oppression, resistance, and endurance. Each story added depth to the history we were unearthing, each artifact a piece of the larger puzzle of their past. Colonel Hargreaves' visit to the site, a few days later, brought a stark reminder of my own complicated position. His words, though dismissive, couldn't douse the fire that the project had ignited in me. I was no longer a mere observer or a reluctant participant in the British agenda. My allegiance had shifted towards truth and justice. Our work at the outpost morphed into something larger, a movement to reclaim and honor the village's history. The personal items we discovered among the military paraphernalia humanized our oppressors in a discomforting yet profound way. Inspired by the stories of resistance, we organized a village gathering a night to share tales, sing songs of the past, and collectively heal. It was a night of raw emotions, of tears and laughter, pain and hope. The fire crackled under the starlit sky as stories of bravery and defiance were passed from one generation to the next, reviving a sense of unity and purpose among the villagers. The gathering was transformative. It was as if by voicing their past, the villagers were shedding the shackles of history, ready to forge a new path forward. The old tales of sorrow were now tales of strength, the narratives of oppression now stories of resilience. In the following days, as we continued to unearth the secrets of the outpost, we began to stumble upon truths that were more complex and unsettling than we had anticipated. The artifacts and stories not only spoke of the British rule, but also hinted at deeper, darker secrets within the village itself. Thanks for listening to Campfire Creatures. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support and grow our channel, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. To stay up to date with Campfire Creatures and get more content, check out campfirecreatures.com. And remember, Keep the fire lit.